0: 7 o'clock at night, that's right, 1,900 hours, and you're listening to the Polo Salguero Show, where the heat is on and we educate our community through interviews with professionals. In studio today, we have Angela Ferreira, who is the chairperson of the Atterborough Special Education Parent Advisory Council. She's also the chairperson for the newly formed Atterborough Council on Disabilities, and she currently works as an educational consultant at the ARC of Bristol County. Angela, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so t- the goal of, uh, sorry about that, <laughs> the goal of the show today is to uh, throw out some information out there for our community and our listeners, um, educating them on, and informing them on uh, special education, so for someone who may be starting, uh, getting involved in the community and uh, things that, that they look for, but um, if you could give just a brief bio and uh, your experience and what you do exactly involving uh, special education.
1: Sure. Um, I got involved in special education um, quite a number of years ago. My oldest son showed developmental delays and received early intervention services through the Kennedy Donovan Center and then we transitioned into the public school district receiving special education support services. Um, So that's how my journey started. Um, I continued to learn more and more about special education. I hit some barriers um, from uh, certain people along the way, uh, putting up roadblocks to services my son needed, and I realized I needed to become an informed um, advocate. I needed to learn about my rights, and um, I've been on that journey for quite a while, and I've invested a lot of time and energy into training and learning all that i can to help my own family and to help others along the way
0: wonderful and as uh the chairperson on the the Attleboro special education parent advisory council what are some of the things that uh, you do and work on what are some of your duties involved
1: the um state of massachusetts actually has a mandate that every school district in the state has a special education parent advisory council. It's a law, and it is a law that mandates volunteers. It's a volunteer organization. So um, school districts seek out parents who would be willing to serve um, on this role, and our job is to help the district in educating parents on their rights. Uh, We do that through hosting training workshops each month, we always host a basic rights training for parents so that they understand what their legal rights are in special education. Um, we are fortunate in Attleboro to have a very dedicated group of parent volunteers who serve on the board, and we offer um, a lot of different um, trainings that help parents learn more about um, different resources in the community to help them Uh, with their children. We also offer um, family fun events so that families can come out with their children and not feel like they're being judged or uh, that they're gonna be embarrassed by their children's behavior. Um, We also host um, an ability awareness event at the middle schools to give an experiential learning process to fifth grade students so that they can learn more Um, about students with disabilities and have hopefully a more compassionate um, and empathetic um, experience with their classmates and form more social uh, connections with kids with disabilities.
0: Wonderful. And uh, before we get into the other topics, if somebody wanted to get involved in the uh, Advisory Council or reach out to anyone there, uh, how could they uh, go about doing so?
1: Uh, We have um, a website And it's located on every school district has their own web page. And if you click on the For Parents tab, you'll see an acronym, A-S-E-P-A-C. That's our acronym, ASEPAC. And that takes you to our website. Um, You can also find us on Facebook at Attleboro CPAC.
0: Okay, wonderful. We're going to talk a little bit more uh, with Angela. We're going to be here until 9 o'clock. But uh, stay with us, and we'll be right back. Hi, my name is Chris Weilman, and I'm the manager of the Elder Dental Program. We are inviting any seniors residing in Massachusetts who are 60 and older to attend our free dental screening clinic in Taunton on Saturday, October 20th from 8.45 a.m. to 1 p.m. Participants will receive a free dental screening and have an opportunity to speak with our dentist in the clinic's relaxed and friendly setting. Participants will be screened for oral cancers and have a chance to receive free denture cleanings. For more information, call 774-203-1326. The free dental screening clinic is organized by the Elder Dental Program, a project of the community VNA.
2: Today we, we decided, decided to walk to school. To school. At, At the corner, corner we, we waited to cross to the street.
3: street. The stoplight stop counted down, 15, 14,
2: 41,
4: 31, I mean 13.
3: We, we took a, a left, left on Carroll Garden Street.
4: School. Garden Street?
3: Loud music was coming from, from a car. car. Danny's a smart kid, but he gets so distracted.
4: There were so many other sounds. I didn't know what to focus on.
3: Danny, Earth to Danny. Suddenly, he realized he forgot his homework again.
4: I left my homework on the table.
3: At the, the school steps, steps
2: we, we hugged goodbye. goodbye. I, I really hope,
4: hope he
5: doesn't have, have another bad day at school, school today.
2: When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org. A free online resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Get personalized recommendations, practical tips, daily access to experts and more. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council.
3: The Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks has been part of the Attleboro area since 1906. They have always been involved in community service and charitable fundraising, giving back to our veterans, supporting our seniors, and providing youth enrichment opportunities, such as soccer and hoop shoots, fishing derbies, and dictionary projects, while also providing academic scholarships. The Elks are over 800 strong locally, and their members are their greatest asset. To learn more, you can go to attleboroelks.org. Remember, Elks care, Elks share.
2: Concerts in the park are back in Attleboro every Thursday, but if you missed it, watch it here this week on AACS. The Metal Larks bring the big band era to life with timeless classics that are sure to bring back memories and get you up and moving.
0: And we're back. So for those just joining us, uh, this is the Paulo Salguero Show. I'm the host, Paulo Salguero. And in studio today, we have Angela Ferreira, who is the chairperson uh, on the uh, Atterborough uh, Parent, uh, Atterborough Special Education Parent Advisory Council. And we're talking about special education. So, Angelo, uh, prior to the show, I, re- I had received an email from um, a parent, I'm assuming, Uh So I'd like to try and cover some of the questions that uh, she listed first since she's the one that uh, took the time out to email. Uh, So the first question she mentions is, what is the difference between a 504 uh, versus uh, an IEP? Oh, that's a
1: good question. That is a very good question. So uh, 504 is a civil right, to anyone who has a disability, and it is an accommodation plan. So, for example, um, if you were blind and you needed um, an accommodation to have your textbooks in Braille, you could benefit from a 504 plan. Um, An IEP stands for Individualized Education Plan, and that is an entitlement program um, to students who have disabilities that need um, not only accommodations but modifications to curriculum, related services, um, and academic support.
0: Oh okay, wonderful. Um, let's see I'll try and I'll, I'll ask all her questions and see if we can, uh, Um, It's the same topic, so I'm pretty sure it'll flow uh, relatively smoothly. Uh, So the next question was: She asked, "What is the first step if I think my child is having difficulty learning, uh, suspect disability, or given a diagnosis from an outside doctor?" So it's relatively, it's three questions. But let's start with the first one. So what's the first step um, if she thinks her child has um, a difficulty learning?
1: The process. can come from a parent, it can come from a teacher, it can come from anyone who has knowledge of a child that suspects that child may have a learning issue. And the way to address it is to request um, in writing, it should always be in writing, um, eligibility for special education support services. That can be directed toward the school principal, or if there's a special education team chairperson, Um, but usually I would suggest going through the principal. Wonderful. Um, Now, how does a typical
0: parent find out about whether or not their child needs a 504 or an IEP? Does it typically come from a parent um, requesting it to the school, or does a school come up to a parent and say, hey, we we think your uh, son or daughter may need um, special accommodations?
1: (laughs) It can go both ways, actually. Um, Sometimes uh, a learning disability isn't detected until the academic demands outweigh what a child's able to um, achieve. Um, Sometimes a parent knows from birth that their child has a disability and is going to need support. So by making that request in writing, um, the school district has a responsibility um, and they have a timeline that they have to follow in evaluating the child, um, doing assessments in different areas, and parents can, sus- parents can request specific assessments um, beyond what they typically um, review. They usually do an occupational therapy, speech therapy, um, physical therapy, Um, Those are related services and then they also do educational um, evaluations. Sometimes parents get neuropsychological evaluations outside of the school and bring that in to say, you know, there's something going on, my child's going to need support. Um, whatever Whatever comes to be, the school still has the right to evaluate the child on their own, do their own assessments, they have a timeline to get that done in a certain time. They do offer written reports of all their assessments, and it's always helpful for a parent to be able to read those reports prior to sitting down to meet, because the reports can be lengthy, Um, but the parents have to request in writing um, a copy of the report, um, and they're entitled to get that two days prior to sitting down and having a meeting.
0: Interesting. Wonderful. Um let's okay, oh, so th- that also I went to the next one. Now the her- next question was, um, what should a parent do if they disagree uh, with the IEP team? Uh, and what is the chain of command involving issues?
1: Okay, so when the team does their eligibility evaluation, they go through a flow, there's a flow chart, a special education eligibility flow chart, which can be found on the Massachusetts Department of Education's website. They will uh, determine whether or not the child qualifies for special education services. Um, when a team decides that a child does not qualify for an IEP, they may recommend a 504 plan as an, you know, an accommodation plan. Um, they may not do that, and parents may disagree with that decision. Oftentimes, if a child's denied eligibility, parent does agree, and a parent has rights. Um, at that point, they can request in writing an independent educational evaluation, which means that the child um, can be um, evaluated by an evaluator of the parent's choice that can be costly Um, and a parent can request that the school district pay for that evaluation and there's criteria that needs to be met um, for that and um, they have up to 16 months after um, that denial of eligibility to request that independent educational evaluation if they disagree If you have a child who's already on an IEP and there's disagreement about what services um, should be taking place and aren't, or there's just some kind of disagreement, um, parents have procedural safeguards that allow for them to um, reject the IEP if they disagree, and what that does is um, it triggers some responses from the school district. They can try and reconvene and try and work out um, the disagreement. If they do that and it doesn't work, or if they don't want to do that, a parent can request mediation from the Bureau of Special Education Appeals, which is a state agency. Um, And they have mediators that will come out and try and help um, the parent and the school district come to a compromise Um, That's often very effective. Um, I think there are seven different mediators in the state of Massachusetts. I think all of them, but one are lawyers um, with special education background, and they're very good at helping um, work out problems. If that does not solve the problem, then parents do have the right to um, go to hearing, um, which is sort of like going to court, but different. We, there are hearing officers who are attorneys with specialized um, training and background in special education. And they have the same power as a judge, even though they're not a judge. And um, parents should really consider hiring attorney if they need to get to that point.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, let me see. And uh,
0: her last question was, "What is the best way to become more educated in the special education process, so she can, or anyone rather, can better advocate for their child?" And uh, if there are any certain websites or Facebook pages that uh, a parent should follow to keep it, stay stay informed on the, on the issue,
1: that's a great question as well. Um, well, of course, I'm going to say um, attending. Your um, school district CPAC meeting, special ed parent advisory council meets monthly during the school year. Um, sometime, and and there are many, uh, as I said, each school district is required to have a special ed parent advisory council, but that hinges upon volunteer participation, um, and sometimes parents may feel more comfortable going to a different towns. Um, meeting if they want to have a little feeling of being anonymous. Um, But attending those meetings, there's some great, great trainings um, available. You can check the Federation for Children with Special Needs uh, website. They often are helping CPACs put on trainings, and so you can go to their website and look at all the trainings scheduled um, throughout the school year so you know where to go and what time and what day. Um, Facebook pages, there's so much out there that's so helpful to parents. Uh, We try to share a lot of different resources on our Facebook page. Um, One of my favorite pages that I like to recommend to parents um, is understood.org. There's so much information on that page that's really helpful to parents. Another one that, I think is important is uh, Peter Wright is a well-known special ed attorney and um, he has a website called Wright's Law and it's w-r-i-g-h-t-s law and it's a wealth of information in there
0: absolutely now uh, going back to the Attleboro Special Education uh, Parent Advisory Council when uh, does the group actually meet and where would they meet so if any of our listeners would like to attend?
1: Sure. Um, we we have nine schools in the city of Attleboro. And our um, CPAC strives to reach each school as sort of like its own community. Um, so we try to switch schools every year. So last year, we were at Wamsetta um, Middle School. This year, all of our meetings will be at Studley Elementary School. Um, and uh, we meet September through May. I don't have the exact dates um, yet, but they will be up on our website, and we also um, publish them on our Facebook page as well.
0: Wonderful. Um, So okay, let's say, uh, back to the IEP, um, exactly. So let's say a a parent realizes their child might have a difficulty learning, um, and so how, How does one go about the IEP? How does their their child get evaluated? What are some things a parent can expect as they're going through that process?
1: Well, um, often a parent knows something's not right, and they need to be listening to that little voice uh, that's telling them, you know, we need to look into this. We need to figure out what's going on. And so, you know, making a request in writing to the school uh, building administrator, the principal, um, the teacher, uh, saying, you know, I believe, I suspect there's a learning issue for my child and I would like to request a special education evaluation. That's always the first step, should always be in writing. And that triggers um, the parents legal rights in the process of eligibility. Um, All special education um, services hinge upon data. All the assessments that the school district is going to um, evaluate the child for is going to provide data. One thing I always try and tell parents is They're the experts in their child, and they have to share the data that they have as well. And the first part of an IEP is parent concerns. And so being able to articulate in writing, what are your concerns? Why do you feel there's an issue? What are the things that the child is struggling with at home? Oftentimes it's gonna be homework. Homework can be a real struggle for a child that has a learning issue. Um, but it also can be social-emotional, the child struggling with um, friendships and, and just not able to connect with other kids. Um, sometimes it can be a mental health issue. It can be school phobia, school anxiety. Anxiety is, is so prevalent in our society today. It can be a real paralyzing um, thing for students. You know, re- school refusal is, is huge right now. There's... Um, So the parents just, they need to know that they're an expert at at the IEP table, you know, you come into a room and there's a lot of experts at that table. It's often overwhelming and intimidating, but parents are the expert in their child. Um, School district personnel are experts at education. They're not experts at disability. Special education teachers, are experts in modifying curriculum so that all learners can access their learning. They're not experts in disability. That's where the parent's expertise comes in.
0: Absolutely. All right, folks. We're in the studio with Angela Ferreira talking about special education. If anyone has any uh, question, comment, or concern, you can email the studio at uh, paulo, P-A-U-L-O, at wara dot, uh, d- uh, w-a-r-a-radio.com, or you can call, give us a call, 508-222- 1320. We'll be right back after this.
6: The City of Attleboro will present its 10th annual Expo for the Senses on Saturday, August 18th. This family-friendly outdoor event will be held from noon to 5 p.m. at the Judith H. Robbins Riverfront Park. It will feature the Attleboro Arts Museum's Art and Craft Fair and live bands and performances. There will also be jewelry and precious metal exhibits, children's activities, and food samplings by area restaurants and caterers. For the past two years, approximately 10,000 guests attended each expo. Admission is free to the expo.
1: My name is Lola Silvestri, and I'm going to be 95 this year. I spend a lot of time in my backyard. I feed the birds and the bees. I love my flowers. The color in my garden keeps the pink of my cheeks. I was very independent, thought I could take care of myself. I fell, and I had to have Meals on Wheels. I love them, they're my savior, and I look forward to volunteers because they've all become my friends. It's Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch.
6: One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council.
5: Are you one of the 30 million Americans who skip breakfast every day? We don't need to remind you that skipping breakfast can have a detrimental effect on your health. The Breakfast Place, located at 187 Pleasant Street, across from the Shell gas station, has been serving their customers meals made to order for over 30 years using vegetables from local farms and cage-free eggs. Owner Casey D'Arcanti opens the Breakfast Place every day from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. for breakfast and lunch. And for those on the go, all meals are available for takeout.
0: All right, folks, we're back on the... air. Uh, this is the Paulo Salguero Show. I'm your host, Paulo Salguero, and we're in the studio with Angela Ferreira, who is the chairperson on the Attleboro uh, Special Education Parent Advisory Council. We're talking about special education, different resources families have to them, IEPs, 504. Um, again, if anyone has a question, you can call in at 508-222-1320, or you can send us an email at P A U L O at wararadio.com. Uh, so, Angela, let's say a parent finally realizes... Uh, their child has an IEP. They've gone through the process, and now it's time for their first IEP meeting. What should a parent expect going into it? Uh, are they typically formatted the same way? Uh, what are some qu- And what are some questions a parent can ask at the first IEP meeting?
1: Um, the format is the same um, for, well, actually it's different. Eligibility is, is a little bit different because they have to go through the flow chart to determine if the child is is eligible, um, but basically, if they do determine they're eligible and develop an IEP, the process is the same. There's different sections to the IEP. The IEP is actually uh, a form. It's a legal contract, um, and the very first section uh, starts off with the parent concerns, um, which is usually what generates the the eligibility process, um, and then each area where the child was assessed, there's going to be a person who talks about what they did to assess the child, what the results of that assessment are, how that compares to children of the same age, um, and it's it's often very painful mm-hmm. <laughs> if your child is struggling um, to hear all that they struggle with. Um, so... Uh, I encourage parents um, to ask um, questions. You know, you want to know where the child struggles so you can support them, but you also want to know what they do well so that you can encourage them and praise them, and develop um, things that support their um, strengths. Um, and so each person will go around and, and give that information and give recommendations on what kind of services they feel that the student should receive um, at school. And um, that information is plugged into what they call a service delivery grid. And it will specify what service the child will receive um, during what part of the school day and where they will receive that service. Sometimes they can receive that service in a classroom. Sometimes the child will get pulled out of their um, general education classroom um, to a different location to get their service in a small group or individually, and then they'll get returned back to that classroom. Sometimes a child um, is unable to be successful in a general education classroom, and so their placement um, may be outside of a general education classroom, but still in the school district. Sometimes that placement is not an option within the school district, and they might have to get placed um, what's called outside the district, an out-of-district placement. Um, There are collaboratives, which are um, different communities, will pool resources to develop programs so that kids from those communities can all be serviced. in an area that they have need and expertise. Um, And then there are private um, special education schools that are approved by the Department of Education that sometimes support students. And then sometimes there are hospitals where students who have profound medical complex issues, um, they get their services within a hospital setting.
0: Interesting, so that kind of led to my next question, which was, um, what is, I guess it would, Vary from case to case, but I was going to ask uh, the typical day for a student with an IEP in the public school system, what essentially does it look like? Is there a typical one that you see often just to give an idea to parents? Hey, you may, this is what your student may go through being uh, uh, on an IEP?
1: Yeah, it's uh, because it's individualized, um, you will see. Uh, similarities depending on the student's needs but there's a wide variety of what a day could look like for a student who has um, special education support Um, if you have a child that has um, you know a specific learning disability related to math you know um, there's dyscalculia um, there's all you know all different kinds of things so let's say they have an issue with math so they have in their IEP some um, supports provided by a special education teacher rather than a general education teacher. So maybe when the whole class is doing math, either a special ed teacher is coming in to work with this student you know, um, in a small group, or they may be taking that student out of the room to a small um, office where they work one-on-one on on, um, modifying that curriculum so that child can learn how to do the math he needs to do for his grade and then returning them to the class.
0: Wonderful. Now, in terms of the Atterborough, uh, is every school equipped with um, what you just described as in uh, special ed teachers coming into classrooms and also coming out, or is it sometimes... A parent might be expected to, hey, this service is only offered at Brennan and we, we have to go to Brennan, or is it uh, pretty universal uh, in terms of services throughout our, uh, the different schools?
1: Um, there's sort of a universal um, you know, plan at each school and expertise at each school. Um, however, there are exceptions. So, for example... The way that it works is uh, during the IEP meeting, they specifically develop what supports this child needs to be able to make effective progress at school. The last part of the meeting is to decide placement. Where can this child receive the supports that we've just identified that they need? Um, And each of our schools in Attleboro have good special education support services. However, for some programs that are not in the general education classroom, we have what's called substantially separate programs. Um, there are some in our district that you know handle um, medically complex kids or kids that have significant cognitive um, issues. There are special programs for um, students with autism and um, a, a few others. And those may be um, specifically located in one building um, by grade level, except the high school, of course, because everything for high school was at the high school. But, so there may be an autism program that's housed at Thatcher. Thatcher has. Um, lot of specialized programs in their building because they also have the early learning center um, and so it, it just depends
0: absolutely uh, one question I forgot to mention when we were um, talking about the IEP meeting and that one that uh, someone brought up to me too the other day is should um, a child or the student with the IEP attend the IEP meetings, is it allowed? Uh, do you Would you recommend it, or is there a certain age you'd probably say would be um, better to have them attend?
1: Um, my personal uh, opinion on that is to have them attend as soon as they can. The law states that starting at age 14, that's the Massachusetts law. Federal law says age 16, but Massachusetts says age 14, the student is invited to the IEP meeting. Um, an important component of uh, parenting a child with a disability is to teach them self-advocacy skills as early as possible. Um, the more that a student is encouraged um, and supported in in advocating for their own needs while at school, the better they'll do. Um, and they don't have to come to the whole meeting. If they just want to come for a few minutes, and talk about, you know, um, what school is like for them. Is school difficult? What's difficult about it? Um, my own son didn't like coming to his meetings, so um, I used to ask him these questions, and I would write down what his answers were. So. His voice was still being heard, even though he wasn't ready to come yet. And when he started high school, he started coming uh, to his meetings. And by um, the middle of high school, he was actively, you know, really participating in his meetings. So it's it's really important to keep them involved.
0: So overall, you would say was beneficial to having, or it, it would turn out to be beneficial if a parent decided to bring their child. It's something that's not really... It wouldn't be frowned upon if, if they were
1: absolutely not and you'll find that the school uh, district personnel would should be supporting that as well that's been um, my experience uh, that they want to include the children and and they want to help develop that self-advocacy as well
0: wonderful all right we're gonna take a break uh, really quick and then we'll be right back we have Angela Ferreira in the studio who is the chairperson on the Atterboro Special Education Parent Advisory Council we'll be right back after this
2: are you looking for an opportunity to help others and give back to your community? Community VNA is seeking volunteers to join our interdisciplinary team dedicated to supporting patients and their families during a difficult time in their lives. Applications are now being accepted for our upcoming hospice volunteer training. A 20-hour orientation program will be held Tuesdays and Thursdays, September 6th through September 27th, from 9 a.m. to noon at Community VNA. 10 Emory Street in Attleboro. To learn how you can make a difference in the life of another, call Community VNA Hospice at 508 118 or visit www.communityvna.com. Adopt
3: US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting.
7: You're bringing your daughter to her favorite pop stars concert. Do you a, wear earplugs? Isn't this
2: fun, Dad? I have a soft pretzel!
7: B, remember the moment with matching concert t-shirts. That's gonna be 180 bucks. Or we can just take a photo. C, show her how you used to do concerts. We're going crowd surfing.
4: I can't, it's too heavy. Oh my God. Oh.
7: Or D, just roll with it.
4: Woo, Justin, look at us,
2: we here. Justin, Justin, OMG. He just looked... I love you Justin, I love you. When it comes to parenting, there are no perfect answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Teens in foster care will love you just the same.
7: For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council.
5: You sit down at your table. You get your card. 25 squares hold the key. Which one will it be? I-25, O-72, or Lucky B-13? Which one will be the square that makes you jump up and shout, Bingo! The Attleboro Elks Lodge 1014 hosts Bingo each Sunday at 887 South Main Street. Open to the public, the kitchen opens at 5 p.m. with a variety of food available. Bingo starts at 6 p.m. Prizes are awarded and proceeds support Elks Charities. For further details, you can visit AttleboroElks.org or you can call 508-222-5502. Remember, Elks care, Elks share.
0: All right, folks, we're back on the air. This is the Paulo Salguero Show. I'm the host, Paulo Salguero. And we're in the studio with Angela Ferreira, who is the chairperson on the Atterborough Special Education Parent Advisory Council. We're talking about special education, IEPs, and different resources uh, parents have available to them and their their child. Uh, So we've talked about IEP meetings um, and different resources that parents already have. But let's say... Okay, your, your, your child has an IEP that past passed the evaluation and everything. Now, how often uh, can a parent expect to have an IEP meeting with uh, the school district? And maybe, uh, who attends an IEP meeting? What are some of the, the voices you'll hear?
1: So, um, once a student's on an IEP, it does get reviewed annually. Um, so the IEP will have um, a date range, um, on the top it will say you know if it was developed in October of 2017 it will say you know valid through October 2017 to October 2018 and um, you'll have an anniversary date where you have an annual meeting um, but every three years a child is reevaluated to see if they still qualify for special education. Um, so it's just like the eligibility, process at the beginning and they repeat that every three years the team sometimes if things aren't going well you um, or you have additional concerns or something new has revealed itself that should be addressed by the team you can call a meeting at at any time um, by just following the process contacting your case manager or the team chairperson Um, who gets invited to a team meeting? Um, usually there's a chairperson who um, is administratively handling the paperwork and, and running the, the agenda of the meeting. Um, a General education teacher needs to be present. Um, if you have a child who's not in a general education classroom, it could be the phys ed teacher. If they're you know, uh, the art teacher, any general education um, person who works with the child, Um, the special educator who is assigned to the child, and any related service providers, an occupational therapist, speech therapist, physical therapist, um, sometimes um, will also include, sometimes a principal will come as well, um, sometimes they'll be um, if the child has behavior concerns or behavioral plan uh, board-certified behavior analyst a BCBA uh, might be part of the team school nurse might be part of the team so anyone who is um, actively involved in that child's IEP should be at the table when the team convenes to offer their um, expertise wonderful and. So,
0: you're saying they get evaluated every three years. So, is that, um, so essentially a, a child can test out of an IEP? Do you? Th-
1: yes. Um, so, you know, the dream would be that, you know, you identify a child has a learning disability and you implement special education support services and they learn strategies that allow them to. Um, access the curriculum and start being able to perform at grade level. And, um, and they would uh, progress off of an IEP. Sometimes that happens. Um, that's, that's the goal of, of the school district. Um, certain children who are born with uh, disabilities are, are always going to need uh, special education support services, but they still go through that re-evaluation every three years. And that's to make sure um, that they're still eligible. Um, and the annual meetings are to make sure the child's making progress. If, if the student's not making progress, it's the responsibility of the IEP team to address that to try different strategies um, to effectively support the child.
0: And let's say a child were to test out I, uh, out of an IEP, um, and let's say they, they continue to the next grade and realize they're still having trouble in a specific area. Can they still get back on an IEP, or is it a completely different situation once you have already tested out of it?
1: No, you just go through the process um of eligibility again, you know, the parent or the teacher, whoever um, has knowledge of the child struggling in that area can request eligibility in writing. And then the whole process starts again.
0: Wonderful. Uh, Some other uh, topics that have come up. um, In terms of, uh, have you, have any uh, stories or experiences or what different types of resources parents have uh, in terms of bullying, do you see a lot of that uh, with students of IEP? Are they being bullied? Or what can, uh, if a child is being bullied, what can happen, what uh, or, or can a parent do in terms of combating it?
1: That's a really good question. Um, oftentimes, uh, children with disabilities are bullied um, at school. And although Massachusetts does have um, bullying legislation that requires all school districts to have a bullying prevention program, um, the kind of bullying that students uh, experience it is not effectively addressed by that bullying prevention program. And so a student who has an IEP, um, it's the responsibility of the IEP team to address any concerns related to bullying. Um, depending on the child, some children may be being bullied and not be aware of it because they have a social, emotional impairment that um, affects their ability to understand that they're that that they're being you know treated unjustly. Um, so the team is required. Um, To bring that up in each IEP meeting. Is this student at risk for being bullied? If um, you know, if it, it, you have to check off on the form that it was brought up as a discussion and the results of the discussion. You can create goals um, in the IEP to address it. Sometimes students need direct instruction on how to um, handle it. Some students need direct instruction on how not to be a bully um, because it might be that their social thinking is, um, it needs a, an adjustment in perspective. They need to understand what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. Um, so it, there are ways to effectively address that in an IEP.
0: Absolutely. Cause I, I think, uh, recently too, uh, just the use of social media and just the internet in general, mm. I mean, you, you, you can go through comments and just some of the things that people say online, it's just like, that's why are you even putting this out there? Yeah,
1: it's, there's a lot of, a lot of hate that comes out when you, when it's not coming out of your mouth, but it's coming out of your keyboard and, um, you know, especially at the high school level, I think social media um, is the biggest challenge in in addressing how students really need to have a um, understanding of the impact of their behaviors um, in in the digital world, and the the impact and the consequences uh, of their behavior when when it's inappropriate. So. It's a big challenge that that the schools deal with, but the um, students with um, the support of an IEP do have added protections in that area. Um, you know, sometimes parents will say, you know, the IEP is not doing the job, and sometimes the team may need more training um, with regard to how to better support a student using an IEP with bullying. Um, and there are ways ways to do that, and we've had trainings on that um, with our CPAC, and, um, you know, there's assistance out there to um, encourage parents if that's an experience they're having to reach out to our CPAC.
0: Absolutely. So we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about um, the different work you do within our city, but if you were to uh, give... Um, anyone in getting involved in special education or a parent who's just getting started, if you were to give them some tips to uh, as they start this progress, what are some of the tips you would, you would want a family to, to have?
1: Um, that's a good question. I have a couple. Um, and this is something I share with parents whenever I talk to them. Um, your voice matters at the IEP table. Don't let people dismiss what you're saying, uh, whether you're a first-time parent, oftentimes that's noted in um, evaluations and such, just because you're a first-time parent does not diminish your expertise in your child. Um, you know, If you feel like your voice isn't being heard, don't feel intimidated about bringing it up. Say, this is a concern I have, I'd like us to address it. And if it's not addressed, say, okay, I'm going to repeat myself. I'd I'd like this concern addressed. I don't feel like we're effectively doing it. My second bit of advice is you've got to work collaboratively um, with your IEP team. You are in a long relationship uh, with the school district. Um, Someone in my uh, advocacy training once said... um, It's like being in a marriage where you can't get divorced. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to be working with this school district until your child graduates. That could be the age of 22 um, for a child on an IEP, unless you move um, out of the district. Um, And some people actually do that, thinking that they'll get better services in a different district. Um, But one thing I know from uh, my years with the CPAC I have a regional uh, CPAC group that um, I communicate with so it's communities all over uh, from all of our surrounding areas and the grass is not always greener special education is challenging and and can be difficult um, and that is across the board Um, I think that um, parents just need to understand their rights follow their instinct if they feel like something is not right, if they feel like something's happening and this isn't fair, this doesn't seem right to me, then to reach out for support. Contact your CPAC. Go to a CPAC meeting. Connect with other parents who have been involved in special education um, in the same district for, you know, uh, you'll meet people. You'll meet your people. You'll meet parents you can relate to. you can reach out to community agencies that can support you. Uh, The Arc of Bristol County um, offers um, educational advocacy support for parents. Um, There there are a lot of uh, resources in our community, and, and when you feel like something's not going right, you should reach out and try and find help. The Federation for Children with Special Needs has a parent support call line. You can call and ask questions. Um, so I always encourage parents to listen to their gut. Don't, don't be dismissed.
0: Wonderful. And um, there was one, one more. Uh, is there a, a big success story that you've seen uh, within our, uh, our school district? Because I feel like some of the stuff we talked about, parents might be worried now. Like th- We're throwing a lot yeah. out them. But is there a story in particular, uh, and we don't have to say any names, but is there something... That uh, a story that will put a parent at ease, that like a, a success story in Attleboro, or something that you, that you've seen oh, somewhere else.
1: So there's so many. There's so many right here in Attleboro. Um, you know, I, I've ha- I've had personal challenges. And I've had personal successes within the Attleboro School District, and I know um, many other parents as well have had you know great success. Um, I know Attleboro High School, ha- we've had, we have our second student now in the inclusive concurrent enrollment program um, for students with disabilities at Bridgewater State University, um, which is a college experience for um, students with disabilities. Um, you know, there is an opportunity for college for every student in this state. We have fantastic. Um, opportunities and oftentimes when parents realize their child has you know pretty significant disability their hopes and dreams are are shifted from what they thought their parenting experience would be um, and sometimes college is, is part of that shift but that no longer has to be the case there's all kinds of college opportunities for every student now. Um, one big success um, I can think of um, a friend of mine, Joe Scales, who um, was a recent graduate of Attleboro High School. There's a big article in the Sun Chronicle about him the other day. Um, he was a student in, in the Bridgewater Ice Program. Um, he works at Bliss Um He's just a, a fabulous, fabulous guy and um, has had great experience through Attleboro Public Schools. Uh, my my oldest as well um, I remember being so scared when he went to high school thinking that school was so big and he had a lot of school anxiety and just I was so nervous he was so nervous and I remember Bill Rooney, the principal at Attleboro High School when we went in for our first um, back to school night um, i w- I went up to Mr Rooney and my husband and I said hello to him and he goes, oh, you're Batman's mom. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's 1,600 kids here, and he knows who my kid is. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Um, and going down the hallway, I heard people saying, you know, hello to my son, and and it, it just was great. Um, it was a great experience. Um, so th- those are some experiences that are uh, positive and there are lots. there's lots of great things going on in the Attleboro School District. But special education is, is challenging. Um, it is. Um, but there's hope. you know great things great things can happen when, when people collaborate and you know don't be afraid to push people to think out of the box. There's a lot of creative solutions to problems and you just gotta tease out the solutions.
0: Absolutely. All right, folks, we're in the studio with Angela Ferrera, who is the chairperson on the Attleboro Special Education uh, Parent Advisory Council. Uh, we're, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, her other works in, within the city, meaning uh, the Council on Disabilities and also uh, the arc of uh, Bristol County. So we'll be right back after these words.
7: You're listening to WARA, 1320 AM, Attleboro.
3: Welcome to the AACS Daily News. Kids and families in the area had a chance to get together for some community fun. For the last 15 years, Councilor Peter Blair and several volunteers have hosted a free open pool and barbecue for kids and families at Briggs Playground. We spoke with Leo Johnson of the Recreation Department to learn more.
5: This is the 15th annual Briggs Pool Family Fun Day sponsored by City Councilor Peter Blair. Uh, we started this 15 years ago, and there's the picture right there on the fence of the group that was here that day, and uh, we've been doing it ever since. Um, in 2004, it was a soft opening before the pool actually opened. Peter had a lot to do with the opening of this pool, raised a lot of money to make sure that it got done, and uh, otherwise, uh, this, this Briggs pool may never have opened, but Peter was a big part in making sure that we got Brig Pool finished, so uh, so like I said, it's been 15 years and each year the crowds get bigger. I think this is probably the biggest crowd we've ever had. It's unbelievable. The kids come down, they have uh, something to eat, a few prizes, and it's just a great day for the kids and the families in the neighborhood. And Thanks to Peter, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue it for a few more years.
4: This means something to me, uh, because I was born and brought up on the east side, learned to swim in the old pool, my brother was a lifeguard here. He's 87 years old, so you know how far that goes back. But uh, the east side's a great place. It's, uh, it's come back a long way. It's a lot more diversified than it used to be. But as I said earlier, this is probably the best cap with the, the surrounding neighborhood is taking ownership and pride in this pool. And we don't get the vandalism. They treat it like it's a pool in their backyard. And it does my heart good to see that it's used the way it's used. And it's a pleasure to do the little I do every year. Compared to the rec commission and guys like Leo that put a tremendous amount of time into the youth of this city. So thank you for coming down and thank the people that use the pool for taking care of it. and and having pride in this area of town.
3: That's it for today's update. You can watch all of our content by visiting our website, doubleacs.com, by downloading the doubleacs mobile app, or by visiting the doubleacs Roku channel. For doubleacs News, I'm Austin Ricketts. Another
6: night of warm, humid conditions falling only to about 74. There'll be cloudy skies, or mostly cloudy, and a touch of mist or a shower, rumble of thunder, and also some patchy fog. Clouds and sun tomorrow, more scattered showers. Again, this time of year, we need the rain, so let's not really complain about it. A thunderstorm possible, mainly late morning and afternoon, a high in the mid to upper 80s, turning less humid tomorrow night, and that'll set the stage for 67 degrees, I'll call it, on Friday morning. yippee IA and mid-80s sunshine, a few puffy clouds, lower humidity, not real refreshing, but less than it's been by Saturday. The weekend featuring increasing chances of rain. More on that tomorrow. I'll be on in the morning, as always, with Dom Katoya. For 1320 AM, I'm meteorologist Jim Corbin. Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America will be holding an informational meeting on September 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Attleboro Public Library's Balfour Room. The public is invited to attend the meeting in order to learn about the organization and about common sense ways to reduce gun violence. The group promotes gun safety and legislation that effectively prevents gun violence. To register for the meeting or for more information, you can contact Margie Kelly via email at mkwrite at comcast.com. The
3: Benevolent and Protective Order of Elks has been part of the Attleboro area since 1906. They have always been involved in community service and charitable fundraising, giving back to our veterans, supporting our seniors, and providing youth enrichment opportunities, such as soccer and hoop shoots, fishing derbies, and dictionary projects, while also providing academic scholarships. The Elks are over 800 strong locally, and their members are their greatest asset. To learn more, you can go to attleboroelks.org. Remember, Elks care, Elks share.
7: You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food, we've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Why are we doing this, you may ask? Save the food. Because this ad is trying to change the world's behavior through brainwashing. Because 40% of all food in the US never gets eaten. Save the food. And that costs a family of four $1,500 a year. Save the food. Cha-ching. It's worsening climate change through the release of methane gas. Save the food. (laughs) Cha-ching. And it's wasting precious natural resources like our fresh water. Save the food. (laughs) Cha-ching. So when you hear this sound, don't be neutral. Rethink your behavior. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the Ad Council. All
0: right, we're back on the air. It's the Polo Salguero Show. I'm your host, Polo Salguero, and we're in studio with Angela Ferreira, who is the uh, chairperson on the Attleboro Special Education Parent Advisory Council. And if you're hearing that the entire time I've been on, I'm sorry, but I like to keep everyone informed on uh, what exactly we're doing. Uh, so we ended our discussion on IEPs, uh, what to expect during an IEP Um, different resources parents have. But another uh, piece of uh, the topic on on education I think that's important to our community is uh, legislation. Now, in terms of the Parent Advisory Council, uh, does the group advocate for legislation? Um, We'll we'll start with that. Does the group advocate for specific pieces of legislation?
1: Absolutely, we do. Um, You know, to get legislators to pass meaningful legislation bills uh, to support people with disabilities is such a vital thing uh, for families in our community. Um, and so while ACE PAC does not promote any, um, we can't support any specific political candidate, however, we do share information on our um, Facebook page when there is important legislation pending and we need people to call their representatives and their senators. Um, And it's just so vital that that happens. Um, With the session that that just ended uh, here in Massachusetts, we really had um, disappointing results in some key legislation that we have been advocating for. Um, One is dyslexia, um, early screening for dyslexia um, Oftentimes, dyslexia goes undiagnosed until students are in middle school. And learning to read is something that's heavy in kindergarten, well, preschool (laughs) through um, second grade. is about learning how to read. And in third grade, you're reading to learn. So if you're not able to read and you're in, you know, sixth, seventh grade, um, you are significantly... Um, hindered in all academic subjects. Um, uh, Decoding Dyslexia, um, Massachusetts, has been pushing legislation um, to have mandatory screenings because it is possible to diagnose a child as early as five years old with dyslexia, and dyslexia um, is easily addressed with very specific, targeted, um, specialized instruction, and can really um, be meaningful to a student uh, when properly introduced at the right time uh, for them when they're learning to read, not when they're so far behind that they'll always be in a position of trying to catch up. And sadly, that legislation did not get addressed um, so we're back to the drawing board. So I do encourage people. I always um, share um, information on our Facebook page that uh, encourages parents to call um, their legislators when um, important uh, legislation is coming up and needs our, our attention. Another one that I was very disappointed about was... Um, Through autism housing pathways, there was what's called an accessory apartment um, legislation, which would not only benefit um, people with disabilities, but it would also benefit families who have an elderly parent to care for. And it um, allows families to bypass um, any kind of local restrictions on building um, an in-law suite, um, whether it be for an adult child, with disabilities or for an elderly parent. Sometimes there are zoning rules and regulations that can put up barriers for families, Uh, but sometimes that apartment is really um, important in giving um, families what they need to be successful, whether it be supporting their child or their parent. Um, That legislation is back to the drawing board. Uh, as well, because it wasn't brought up.
0: Gotcha. Do you think that they're gonna refile it for the the next legislative uh, session that's gonna? I,
1: I hope up? so. I hope so.
0: Wonderful. All right, folks, we'll be, uh, we're going to take another break, and then uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Angela's works in the city. Uh, we'll talk about the Council on uh, Disabilities as well as uh, the arc of uh, uh, Bristol County. And again, if anyone has any questions or comments or concerns, feel free to call 508-222-1320, or you can send us an email at paulo, P-A-U-L-O, at com. and uh, we'll be right back after this.
2: Are you looking for an opportunity to help others and give back to your community? Community VNA is seeking volunteers to join our interdisciplinary team dedicated to supporting patients and their families during a difficult time in their lives. Applications are now being accepted for our upcoming hospice volunteer training. A 20-hour orientation program will be held Tuesdays and Thursdays, September 6th through September 27th from 9 a.m. to noon at Community VNA. 10 Emory Street in Attleboro. To learn how you can make a difference in the life of another, call Community VNA Hospice at 508-222-0118 or visit www.communityvna.com. Mental
3: health, just like physical health, is an important part of every person's overall well-being. Learn about the many issues surrounding mental health by listening to our new show, Exploring Mental Illness: Everything You Wanted to Know But Were Too Afraid to Ask, on Mondays at 6 p.m. on WARA 1320 AM. You can also listen for free by subscribing to the Exploring Mental Illness podcast on the iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn platforms. Find out more information by going to wararadio.com and clicking on podcasts. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me, but I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
2: This week on AACS, watch Disaster Behavioral Health Overview and understand the concept of self-care and how to respond to the mental health needs of individuals who have been involved in any traumatic situations and learn when maybe more in-depth intervention is required.
0: All right, folks, we're back on the air. This is Paulo Salgero show. I'm your host, Paulo Salguero, and we're in the studio with Angela Forever, who is the chairperson on the Attleboro Special Education Parent Advisory Council. Uh, but she's also uh, the chair of uh, the Council on Disabilities, as well as uh, an educator on um, the arc of uh, Bristol County. Uh, so this is a new council that's starting in Attleboro, uh, correct? That
1: is correct, yep. It just started a, a couple months ago, actually
0: and so uh, how does how did the council uh, originate was it um, was it has it always been in Attleboro or was it something you guys started advocating for how did it really come about how did we get how did Attleboro end up with the Council on Disabilities
1: well that's interesting (laughs) Um, I would say I have been um, zealously advocating for a reinstatement of a council on disabilities for the last three years, and um, had attended regional um, commission on disability meetings, um, and met the director and the assistant director from the Massachusetts Office on Disabilities, and um, you know, in networking with um, you know CPAC uh, families you know, trying to address it from all sides, getting more and more people to try and approach. Uh, at that time, it was Mayor Dumas. Um, I had written him letters and um, just wasn't really getting anywhere with it. And then um, when the uh, election came up, I know that uh, Mayor Harrow was using that as part of his uh, platform. He had been uh, advocating for it as well and um, you know so when I heard that that was one of his initiatives I was very interested in learning more about that and I talked to him about it Um, you know he did win the election and he followed through with uh, his plans and and established reestablished the Council on Disabilities here in Attleboro. So really happy that that's in place.
0: And um, well, we're going to talk a little bit about what the council does, but prior to, to getting there, uh, you mentioned you had attended the, uh, meetings at the c- commission. Now, is there a difference from uh, when we have a council on disabilities versus if it was a commission on disabilities? Because we see Throughout the state, we have, you know, commission for, you know, grandparents raising uh, children or uh, the Council on Disabilities. What exactly is the difference? Uh, are there any benefits to being called a commission versus a council? Could you touch upon that?
1: Sure. Um, this is a learning curve that I, I have just uh, stepped into myself, um, and from everything that I had read from the Massachusetts Office on Disabilities, um, most communities have a commission on disabilities. Um, I didn't really realize there was a difference um, until just recently. Um, for a um, commission on disabilities, the city or town has to adopt um certain legislation to put it in place to be a commission and what that does is allow for the uh, acquisition of funds from um, handicapped parking fines. So a commission on disabilities would um, have that uh, fine money uh, put into a specific account that the commission would then use to benefit um, all Um, disabled citizens in the community. They could use it to purchase accessible playground equipment. They could use it to um, fund different events in the community for people um, that, you know, they would uh, be able to uh, make more of an impact in their community. Um, A council does not have access to any financial um, funds.
0: So, overall, it's accessibility to, to funds the difference. So, right. um, to our city council and our mayor, make it a commission.
1: Yes. Give yep. us some money. <laughs> we need
0: to get stuff done. Yep. Um, <laughs> wonderful. So, uh, now the I, I know it's new. I know that the council's new. Um, what is the overall mission of the council and exactly what is it? W- what are your goals going forward with the council?
1: That's a great question. Um, We actually just finished, um, we've only had, I think, three or four meetings now, and uh, we just tackled developing a mission statement and creating bylaws, Um, and next we are on to developing a list of goals that we want for uh, our community. and while I can't recite the mission statement verbatim, it will be on the city's website. Soon we'll have um, a, a website listing on the city of Attleboro's website. And we have um, created um, an Attleboro Council on Disabilities Facebook page, which would have the mission statement on it. But our our, our true goal is to make Attleboro um, accessible, safe, um and a place for all members of the community to um, have, you know, access.
0: Absolutely. It's interesting because uh, during my time in college, this was something, and then when I entered the statehouse, we had different nonprofits come by and talk about advocating for uh, disabilities and different resources. And that was one thing that I hadn't thought about growing up, meaning – Going to a school and if it's wheelchair accessible, if it, that was a huge thing because even some buildings you go around and it's like, wait a minute, like you start thinking like, well, there's no wheelchair uh, wheelchair accessibility, and it's something that uh, I hadn't thought about until you start hearing people advocating uh, for for these um, things. Is that essentially is that what the goal too is just advocating for more accessibility?
1: Absolutely. Um one of the uh, main roles of, of the council is, is to advocate for accessibility. And so the, the Council on Disabilities will work closely with the um, planning department at City Hall when new projects comes up. Um, we had um, a senior uh, planner from that department came to one of our meetings to share information about the walkway they're making at um, the Riverwalk Park um, and a concern on a slope um, on the sidewalk that did not meet with um, accessibility requirements they had to get um, a waiver from the um, architectural access board and they wanted to share that information with us to make sure that we were aware um, and uh, one of our members who has a lot of experience with um, caring for someone in a wheelchair, explained how that the differentiation in that slope is not as minimal as you would think. It's hard to stop when you're going downhill um, in a wheelchair and it can really put people at risk. And so she had right. recommended putting up a rail um, to assist people who have mobility issues and um, the city actually um, did uh, put up that rail. So uh, I was really happy to see that collaboration come out of the council so soon uh, after we started.
0: Yeah, and, and there's such a variety too. It's it goes across to like c- closed captions on specific yeah. programs. It goes to Braille on signs in, in specific buildings. Like uh, like w- during my time in college, we, every sign or room number had Braille under it. Yeah, you know, and that's like a, it's a little thing that no one really thinks about until you you know someone. Who needs
1: that sure. accessibility you know so sure. um,
0: uh, so that's good we, we've got to make it a commission to get some more money yes. from you guys um, now if someone wants to get involved on the council on disabilities how can they go about doing so
1: uh, I'm glad you asked that because the council on disability meets the first Wednesday of every month in the annex room at City Hall which is the conference room next to the council chambers um, the meetings are open to the public there is an open forum so if people have a concern that they want to share with the council they're welcome to do so at open forum um, our meeting agendas are posted at City Hall and on our Facebook page so you can see what we're up to what we're talking about um, and we want Um as many people who want to be involved, involved. So uh, I hope people will uh, start learning that the council is in place. We are active, and we're we're seeking, you know, information uh, to from the community to understand what's important. Um, not just from everyone at our table, but from our community. Uh, members at large to just share with us what's important to them so that we can develop meaningful goals and, um, and objectives and, and make progress to make. The mayor said he wanted Attleboro to be um, the place where um, everyone in the state feels like, oh, Attleboro, that's the place where everybody has access. It's, it's a barrier-free community.
0: Absolutely. All right, folks. We're in the studio with Angela Ferreira talking about special education, uh, disability rights, and then we'll we'll talk a little bit about the arc of uh, Bristol County. Um, so we'll be right back after these messages.
6: Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America will be holding an informational meeting on September 12th from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Attleboro Public Library's Balfour Room. The public is invited to attend the meeting in order to learn about the organization and about common sense ways to reduce gun violence. The group promotes gun safety and legislation that effectively prevents gun violence. To register for the meeting or for more information, you can contact Margie Kelly via email at mkwrite at comcast.com.
2: Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Does
6: your back hurt after a long night's sleep? Has your mattress seen better days? Is your current bedroom furniture a mixture of different furniture sets? The Bedding Center, located on Pleasant Street and proud sponsor of this radio station and high school sports, offers a wide array of mattresses along with beds, bedroom furniture, and odd-sized mattresses and box springs. You can reach them online at bedding-center.com or by phone at 508-226-8090
0: all right folks we're back on the air this is the paulo salguero show i'm your host paulo salguero we are in studio with angela forever who is the chairperson on the adderborough uh, special education parent advisory council she's also the chair of the um council on uh, disabilities and she currently works as an educational consultant at the arc of bristol county um i'd like to talk a little bit about that uh so, as an educational, well, first, uh, what is the Arc of Bristol County for our our listeners? And
1: uh... um, sure, the Arc of Bristol County is um, a service agency, a community service agency for um, individuals and families um, dealing with uh, disability. So, they offer a wide range of different services. Um, they have an Autism Now Center to help families who have um, members with autism um, in helping them get um, different kinds of services. They have a sensory room. Uh, They also do vacation clubs for um, students who have uh, disabilities during uh, school breaks. They plan organized activities. They have a recreational club for adults with disabilities to have fun outings. They offer um, guardianship um, for people with disabilities who may not have family members who are able to serve as as guardians if that's needed service. Um, They offer representative payee services um, for adults with disabilities who are unable to manage their Um, finances and need help with that Um, they manage uh, special needs trust they have a division for that and um, lots of other uh, services Um, I fall under the umbrella of um, educational advocacy and I consult with families um, in Attleboro Taunton um, Area and covers Rehoboth, Um, Dighton. um I also uh, help families in Fall River and New Bedford. Uh, I divide my time between those areas. Um, and you know, educational advocacy uh, is so important for families to have access to uh, that support. It really is uh, so needed, just because the process can be so overwhelming and. You know there's a lot to learn a lot to know and um, unless you've been through it you know it's like trying to take a sip from a fire hydrant it's yeah. overwhelming now what what
0: is what's your every day look like as that advocate so as you start your day what, what explain to me what your day is exactly
1: um so if a parent um reaches out calls into the ark and talks about a problem they're having with getting an appropriate IEP um, for their child or 504 uh, plan for their child um, they can call me and we kind of talk through the problem um, we'll usually do an intake meeting where they'll bring their documents their copies of their IEP copies of their kids report cards or progress reports um, copies of evaluations that have been done on their child and I will do um, a review of all the documents. Um, I will do a thorough um, review of the parent concerns. Uh, I can help them draft letters to the school. I can help them draft their parent concerns in writing, um, and I um, I help empower them, you know, through the special education process with guiding them step by step as to what their options are. I'm not a lawyer I don't give them legal advice but I am um, a consultant who is very um, well trained in what the process of special education is and I point out what their options are um, and help them um, in being informed so that they can make um, the choice that's best for them and their family
0: absolutely so it's just a guidance for anyone that needs Assistance. That's right. In the special education process. Um, have you been there a while? Have you, have you been working um, there a while? or?
1: I started in April of this year. I actually did um, a parent consultant training. Um, it's a nine-week training through the Federation of Children with Special Needs where um, it's uh, nine weeks of intense training training. Uh, some of it from, uh, special education attorneys. We had hearing officers come in to train us. Um, you know, experts that have been in the field for, I mean, since the beginning of special education, some of them, it was really, um, a wonderful experience. I learned a lot. Um, and, uh, it just so happens when I was, uh, taking that training, I saw that the ARC was looking for an educational consultant and uh, I was lucky enough to uh, join their ranks.
0: Absolutely. it, it It's interesting because d- during my time in college, I did a lot of research on the school to prison pipeline mm-hmm. and um, it's amazing. You know, I, I did a quick Google search. You just type in special education. The first thing, no, no exaggeration, special education students have used in, uh, in, in school. Why do you think that is? Why is it, when you look at the news and, and we'll see stories about officers, uh, the way they're restraining the, the students, and it's always a student, uh, sorry, it's not always, but I feel like the, sometimes the stories we see are always a student with a disability. Mm-hmm. Why, do you, uh, why do you think that is?
1: Well, I think that um, oftentimes a student who has um, Either a mental health issue or a social emotional issue struggles To effectively communicate their needs and so they use behavior as their form of communication Um, Inappropriate behavior is communication and oftentimes if people in the community police or um, you know school support staff, deans of discipline, uh, if they're not familiar with um, what I would call a a, a trauma-sensitive school is is, is the goal, uh, to have people familiar with how to deal with that kind of behavior, so one, that it doesn't escalate the behavior, but actually de-escalates the behavior. To understand that sometimes a student isn't in control of um, their emotional uh, responses. Uh, and there are really effective ways to deal with it so that um, everybody gets sort of reset back to calm. You cannot expect to impact a person when they're in the midst of an emotional situation. Um, the brain blocks access to uh, trying to teach them anything in that moment. You have to be um, willing to understand and learn how to calm somebody down before you can address what the problem is. Um, And oftentimes, you know, people have an expectation of a certain behavior of the general population. You know, you will respect me. You will behave this certain way. And... Um, that expectation needs to be flexible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I was finishing my master's, uh, one of my certificates is in mental health, and that was a big thing. My research was on uh, mental health training in uh, the correctional facilities and correctional officers in particular. And that was a big thing that amazed me throughout the state is that mental health training isn't universal through their academies. So some officers receive eight hours, some receive zero and it amazed me because when we worked in residence housing we got eight hours and that amazed me that an ra a resident assistant in in a school could get more training on mental health than uh, a correction officer now our our general education uh, teachers do they have any um do they have to go through any training whatsoever in terms of uh mental health or recognizing Certain behaviors that a special needs student um, may have?
1: You know, that's an excellent question. I'm not sure if there's any mandated training that they have to go through or if um, the district has a focus on, um, you know, the school staff acquiring a certain level of knowledge in any particular area, um, kind of a requirement. I would think through professional development that school districts will probably have more of an impact than, you know, um, the college experience of a of a general educator um, getting exposure to that kind of stuff. But they have experience in dealing with it because one in five, you know, people in this country have a disability. They're they're learning it. Uh, on the job if they're not getting the training, because um, behavior management in the classroom is probably one of the biggest challenges for teachers today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I substitute in in North Attleboro, and uh, it's amazing, because I'll leave, and people always be like, oh, how, how was it? I'm like, I have tons of patience. It doesn't bother me at all when a class is acting up. I was like, I know what it was like when I was getting a substitute in class, I'm sure you know what I mean. Yeah, a lot of people have like, "Oh, we got a sub. We're not doing anything today." Exactly. And um, but it's something that at least I recognize because you know I was a kid too, and I still recognize that. But it's when um, when I worked at the Y, and this is kind of a helpful tip maybe for a teacher that's that's listening or anything. Uh, the biggest thing that we used to use was the word yet, right? Like, "Oh, I don't get this. Oh, you don't get this yet." Right. Well, I'm not good at it. Or you're not good at it yet, and it was kind of like that positive um, reinforcement for um, uh, that specific child. And instead of, you know, again back to the school to prison pipeline, when we see so many kids getting kicked out of class, it's like yeah, you're not benefit. That, that's that's not helpful at all. You're, you're causing so much more harm to uh, to that child. But is there any um, is there any uh, trainings that the the uh, Parent Advisory Council is part of? Do you guys host anything like that? or?
1: Sure, yeah, we've had um, mass advocates for children uh, came out and did a presentation on bullying um, and children with IEPs. Um, we've had the Federation for Children with Special Needs came out and did one on discipline and suspension. Um, I do know that Um, the school district in Attleboro has um, they were awarded a three-year grant from Nellie Mae and so they have a community um, engagement uh, I think it's called uh, be heard I forget we struggled with uh, with naming it but it is a uh, sort of a, a, a large group that they've tried to pull stakeholders from every corner of the community to get involved, to try and have an impact on uh, these issues. Um, We have three major goals that they're trying to achieve, and so there are three sort of like subcommittees within this committee, Um, and I was uh, participating in uh, goal one, which is to, address barriers um, and we chose discipline as one and um, so we're trying to um, address that in meaningful ways so that discipline and suspension are um, handled in a different way in a way that uh, allows our schools to become trauma-sensitive and informed because um, not even just students who have um, disabilities or special needs, but c- kids are living hard lives these days. Some kids you know, are really coming from, uh, with the addiction uh, epidemic in, in the world, there are some kids re- le- leading some very scary lives. And um, when your brain is experiencing all that trauma, Um, It actually affects your ability to learn, and so uh, you have to deal with that before we can educate them. Uh, We put such a responsibility on our school districts in caring for our kids. Um, It takes a lot of expertise, a lot of training, a lot of collaboration, Um, so it's important that parents step up and get involved when they're given the opportunity to, to make a difference. You have to get involved.
0: Absolutely. i always friends with a lot of teachers and I always say, you never know what happened that morning
1: exactly. in, in that
0: child's life. So if if a child comes into a class and starts, you know, first thing you say and he acts out or she acts out, and like, you don't know, maybe they just got yelled at or th- their parents got into an argument that morning, you know. So it's something to always be um, conscious of, I think. Yeah. Uh, recognizing that as a, a teacher, a, it's a tough job, but I think it's more, one of the most satisfying jobs too out there.
1: Absolutely. Um, and adjustment counselors we could use more of them
0: absolutely absolutely <laughs> all right folks this is the Paul Girl show I'm the host Paul Salguero uh, we're gonna take a brief uh, break uh, we're in the studio with Angela forever uh, talking about special education disabilities and uh, pretty much anything that really pops up <laughs> so uh, we'll be right back after these messages
2: Are you looking for an opportunity to help others and give back to your community? Community VNA is seeking volunteers to join our interdisciplinary team dedicated to supporting patients and their families during a difficult time in their lives. Applications are now being accepted for our upcoming hospice volunteer training. A 20-hour orientation program will be held Tuesdays and Thursdays, September 6th through September 27th from 9 a.m. to noon at Community VNA. Ten Emory Street in Attleboro. To learn how you can make a difference in the life of another, call Community VNA Hospice at 508-222-0118 or visit www.communityvna.com. Staying at home, surrounded by family and friends, resting comfortably with your illness under control, and support for your family caregivers—that's what most Americans want at life's end. Hospice can make it happen. With the help of hospice, patients and families alike can focus on what's most important, enjoying life together and living as fully as possible. Feel free to contact Community VNA Hospice at 508 222 0118. You can also visit communityvna.com for more information.
3: Today we decided to walk to school. At the corner, we waited to cross the street. The stoplight counted down 15. 14. 41?
4: 31? I mean, 13? We, we took, took a left, left on Carroll Ra- Garden, cool. Street. Garden Street.
3: Loud, Loud music was coming from, from a car. car. Danny's a smart kid, but he gets so distracted.
4: There were so many other sounds. I didn't know what to focus on.
3: Danny. Earth to Danny. Suddenly, he realized he forgot his homework again.
4: I left my homework on the table. At the,
3: the school, school steps, steps
2: we, we hugged goodbye. goodbye. I, I really hope, hope I he doesn't
5: have another bad day, day at school, school today. today.
2: When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free online resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Get personalized recommendations, practical tips, daily access to experts, and more. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council.
0: Alright, folks, we're back. This is the Paul Salguero's Show. I'm the host, Paul Salgero. We're in the studio with Angela Ferreira, and this is the home stretch. <laughs> uh, so, we've talked a lot about uh, school resources, uh, IEPs, 504s, disabilities. Uh, one thing that I find interesting in that uh, I feel like a lot of parents Maybe they, I think recently they're talking a little bit more about it since the new high school is being built in Attleboro and we're talking about safety procedures, you know, how many doors are in a school and everything. Uh, but one thing that I always like to talk about is school resource officers. Uh, and that's, I'm um, talking more of a police officer that's assigned to a school. Um, so, what's your personal opinion on that? Are you, would you say it's a good resource to have in a school? Um, or are you, uh, like, opposed to it like, nah, I don't want no police officer in the school?
1: Well, um, I'm in full support of that. Um, I have a 21-year-old daughter who's entering her senior year at Fritzburg State University. Um, she's going to have her master's in criminal justice and go through their embedded police academy. And when she graduates, she'll be um, ready to be a municipal officer somewhere in the Commonwealth. Um, and she calls herself a social worker with a badge, and um, I think by having um, a school resource officer um, available to students, um, they're both students, he's learning about the members of his community that he can have a positive impact on, Um, and the students are learning um, from him or her, um, you know, A lot of different things, expectations of uh, behavior beyond the school walls, Um, and uh, just—I just think the more positive influences you can put in a student's life, the better off that student is. The more they're able to uh, learn, and uh, you know, it's important that we offer as many positive people we can.
0: Absolutely, I think a big part of that position is the resource in that school resource because I think w- when, and this happens in, in many schools, they, they rely on their school resource officer in, in for disciplining students, and I think that's when we see uh, more of uh, the, the, versus the pros and cons, that's when the most of the cons come in, when they're disciplining uh, children. Uh, but I, I mean, I agree. I, I think it's a good thing to have as long as it's being implemented the right way sure um but have you guys with the the parent advisory council is there anything particular with the school to prison pipeline have you guys done uh, studies or research or anything like that
1: um we have we we are um always looking for ways to um support parents and to support school staff we we want everyone uh, who works with our kids to have the tools they need to support them. Um, We are um, always meeting with the special education director to address um, concerns every month. Um, We try and have um, collaborative trainings um, each year so that when teachers get professional development at school, we're offering a um, similar or same component for parents um, to attend, so we're both hearing the same information. Um, One of the resources we really like is um, Dr. Ross Green. He has um, a website called Lives in the Balance. He's written a few books, uh, one called um, Lost at School and the other one called The Explosive Child. Has a lot of great strategies on supporting students who have challenging behaviors at school. Um, You know sometimes um, we'll do book shares you know the superintendent and I will uh, talk about books that we feel um, are beneficial. Um, Sometimes we provide um, you know books for um, teachers uh, if we feel that there's a need to uh, to support in that way, but we're always looking for ways uh, to have meaningful impact. Um, and Dr. Green talks a lot about the school to prison pipeline and the statistics of suspension and discipline for students with disabilities for students with disabilities and students of of uh, color, um, you know th- it's it's a nationwide problem. Mm-hmm and um there's a lot of information out there on how to have a positive impact on it so we yeah, are it, always advocating for it
0: it's amazing because they'll account for um less altercations but yet they account for the majority of the out of school yeah suspensions
1: they don't receive the same punishment for a peer um yeah. of, of a different standing
0: yeah and it's amazing because you can, and, and the stats are it's not just a coincidence it's throughout Every state, you you can let yeah. pick any school and literally see the out of school suspension, and then you know match it up with uh, minority or student, uh, even second language, English as a second language, or um, student with special needs, and they account for so many of the out of school uh, suspensions. Um, so th- throughout your entire experience with special ed disabilities, what was one of the biggest challenges in your personal life? And how did you overcome it?
1: Um, My child was bullied at school um, repeatedly, extensively. And um, he suffered great anxiety from it. And we went through a period in middle school where he literally was on the floor vomiting in the morning before school and just could not handle the thought of going there. and you know I remember I would have to unbuckle him from the seatbelt and re- literally walk him into the building. and I felt like I was dropping him off in a war zone every day. Um, and when I addressed it, uh, I had mixed results. I actually had somebody at the IEP table ask me, "Well, he seems fine at school. Do you think he's faking it?" Wow." I said, "Well, I'm pretty sure you can't fake autism." Um, And, um, you know, we at that point did decide to homeschool for a year to try and give him some time to heal. My pediatrician said, you know, he's going to end up with an ulcer because he's just really um, in a bad way. Um, And that's not an uncommon experience. Sometimes you'll see families who struggle with social-emotional issues or anxiety end up having to homeschool because... It's a challenge, Um, you know, and some kids, they just kind of, at school, they're just like the deer in the headlights. They just, they're not expressing it, but on the inside, they're terrified. Um, So they may appear fine, but really, they're not, they're not learning because they're too busy being afraid.
0: Absolutely. And, And what was the biggest thing that helped you overcome that? Overcome that barrier? If you could tell someone, listen, this is tough. But this is how I overcame it, and, and so can you.
1: Well, at that point, um, I found an organization um, called um, AANE.org, Autism and Asperger's Association of New England. And I remember um, you know, the Internet was fairly young in those days. And when I found it, I was like, oh, my goodness, where has this been my whole life? There's so much help here. Um so I learned some information that, that could help me, and I um, connected with somebody at the school who had a better understanding of what my son might need, and I just really formed a partnership with her and, and uh, relied on her. We did a, a slow um, transition back into school, which is what he needed. And um, even while we homeschooled, we still volunteered at the school. You know, we would go in for book fairs and... He would have phys ed at school because he really enjoyed that class. Um, so they really catered and, and did sort of a, they were just great about customizing um, what would work for him and, and making it uh, a smooth comeback. And then when he did come back, that's when I found the Attleboro Special Ed Parent Advisory Council. It was defunct in Attleboro for several years. And there was a group of dedicated parents who brought it back to life. Um, I went to a meeting, and I said, where have these people been my whole <laughs> life? <laughs> and that's usually what people say when they come to their first uh, meeting with us. They just feel they're among people who get it. They're among people who understand and people who have knowledge that can help them.
0: Absolutely. All right, so we've talked a lot about some tough topics, I think, and some, uh, uh, a lot of info for, out there for our, our listeners. But a fun question I like to ask everyone, and uh, – you don't have to answer it, but it's kind of fun. Uh, I always ask, I like to ask, if you could talk to anyone in history, past, present, um, who would you want to talk to, and what question would you want to ask? that? You can only ask them one question. What would you want to ask them?
1: Oh, well, don't laugh. Uh, I would like to talk to the Dalai Lama, and I would like to ask him for his best advice um, in leading a happy, meaningful life.
0: Wow. That was probably <laughs> short and very deep.
7: <laughs>
0: That's awesome. All right. Well, that uh, pretty much um, wraps everything we've talked about. Uh, again, if, if somebody wanted to get involved with the Attleboro Special Education Parent Advisory Council, how can they get involved or where can they uh, lo- look it up?
1: Um, they can go to um, any school in the City of Attleboro's website. Um Click on the Four Parents tab and look for the acronym ASEPAC, which stands for Attleboro CPAC, and they'll find all of our information there. You can find us on Facebook at Attlebro S-E-P-A-C, CPAC. All um, right.
0: Uh, well, wonderful. And uh, how often and where, again, do we you meet, guys meet?
1: Uh, once a month, starting in September through May. And we will have our meetings at Studley um, Elementary School this year. Sometimes uh, we have meetings at the public library when we, have, um, we do that crossover with professional development um, because we meet uh, during the day that month. Um, so we can't meet in a school when its uh, school session is in. Kids take up a lot of space.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'd like to thank you again uh, for coming here. I'd like to thank uh, Mr. Jim Jones by my side, helping me with everything as well. And uh, 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 a shout-out to all our listeners and also uh, uh, one of my friends, uh, Big E. I won't tell her her name on the ear because I don't know if she wants to hear it, but she's been uh, sending some encouraging uh, text messages. And uh, that's, again, that's going to be it for us, folks. Uh, again, you can hear us every Wednesday from 7 to 9. Uh, we'll be on the air uh, next week, uh, 7 o'clock, with uh, a professor from uh, BCC. And we're going to do uh, an entire segment, again, 7 to 9 on uh, the Holocaust. We're going to talk a lot about the entire history behind it, uh, what came about it, how it started, and everything. We're going to talk a lot about um, that. But, again, uh, Wednesdays at 7 to 9 uh, p.m. here on WARA thirteen twenty a.m.